Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Good morning, Marion Church. My name is Curtis McGinnis. I'm executive director of Crossroads Church Partners, one of the missions that you support here as a church based out of Rochester, Minnesota here, and it's good to be here and share with you out of the word today. Yesterday, we had our biggest event that we do uh, uh, as an organization and uh, our Flourish Conference, and a number of you from the church here participated, and what a great time and challenge it was as we talked yesterday about developing a leadership pipeline in the church, and something that every church needs. Needs. And uh, I know it'll be helpful for your church moving forward. Uh, if you do have the chance after service today, you need to uh, talk to Mr. Lyle Dietz and ask him why his name is now Mrs. Smith. Okay, so I, I won't tell you anything more, but just ask him, uh, and you can call him Mrs. Smith, and he'll respond to it now. So after yesterday, so it was a great time. Um, if you have lived in Rochester for a while uh, and you are a sports fan then no doubt one of your highlights of every week is KTTC's Sports Extra. Uh, Sports Extra, uh, I think it's always on Friday night uh, on KTTC, and and it highlights all the sports across southeast Minnesota. Pat Lund did it for 20 plus years before his passing a few years ago. And, uh, you know, you would turn it on every Friday night to see if your high school was on there, if you were on there, because he highlighted all these local sports, uh, um, all these local sports across the region. And it was this fast-paced segment, you know, and he would go from school to school to school to school, just walking through all these schools and what they were doing. Well, that kind of reminds me of the Gospel of Mark. Mark is like that. He is this fast-paced gospel writer. Mark is in a hurry to get to the stories of Jesus. He's always driving and pushing the story forward. Uh, Part of this is through, he uses this word immediately. I'm sure Rick talked about this in the intro of Mark a number of weeks ago. But Mark uses the word immediately 41 times in this gospel. It's always, he's pushing it along, immediately, 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 immediately. Jesus is constantly moving. And our story today is no different. Mark has Jesus just pushing forward, moving forward. We're going to be looking in Mark chapter 6 today. and We'll have the verses up on the screen, but I encourage you, if you have your Bibles or your phones that have the Bible on them, that you can follow along that way as well. I'm going to start in verse 30. It says this, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that had all that they had done and taught. And so we have to say, well, what had they done and taught? Well, previously in Mark chapter 6, we see that they were healing many sick. We see that they were doing miracles. They were driving out demons. They had been doing all of these things. And so they were wanting to tell Jesus all that they had done, all that they had taught. It says, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 
When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So do you have the setting here? The disciples had done all these great things. They had driven out these demons. They had healed these people. They come back to Jesus. They want to tell Jesus all about the exciting things that had happened. Just as the leaders of this church, they want to tell you all about the exciting things that they learned yesterday and how it can help your church. They're coming back to Jesus and saying, we want to tell you about this, and Jesus wants to spend some time with them. And as Jesus does this, he wants to establish in them a rhythm of healthy leadership. Charles Stanley said a number of years ago that we need to be very careful after we have emotional highs he said you need, he has an acronym called HALT. Whenever we have an emotional high, we need to be careful if we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Because after this emotional high, it's a great opportunity for Satan to come in and to tempt us to do something with us to get us to stumble in those areas if we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And so Jesus here is teaching his disciples a healthy leadership rhythm, that there's going to be times of activity and times of rest, and he wants to get away with them and to begin to teach them these things, and yet they can't. All these people are pressing up against him, and so Jesus takes his disciples into this boat and hopes that they can have this time of reflection and rest. And, and there's this imagery here that they are out in the lake in the boat, and the people see the boat, and they just keep tracking with it on the shore. So much so that it says that they get to the spot before the boat does. The people want to be with Jesus. And when Jesus looks at them, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. See, just previous to this section, King Herod is off throwing parties. He's beheading prophets. He's not caring for the people. The people are leaderless. They don't have a king. And Jesus is here, the good shepherd. As Moses prepared to die in the wilderness in Numbers 27, it says that he was looking for a new leader so the people would not be like sheep without a shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, a promised one is coming like David who will tend them and be their shepherd that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. And as any good shepherd would do, Jesus is following after the shepherd described in Psalm 23 who leads and cares and teaches his sheep. And so Jesus does this. He sees the crowds, he has compassion on them, and he begins to teach them. He begins to care for them. Going on in verse 35, it says this, By this time, it was late in the day. Jesus is teaching all these people. It's late in the day, so his disciples came to him. And they say, this is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. This makes sense. But you can almost hear in the disciples' voice a, a bit of annoyance. Jesus, we want to spend time with you. We want to tell you about all that we've done. All these people are here. You're caring for all these people. 
Can you just send them away so that they can get their own food? Can you just send them away so that we can spend time with you, Jesus? So we can share about all the things that we have done, Jesus? So we can share about all the highlights of the ministry that we've been doing? There's a bit of annoyance here. In verse 37, But Jesus answered, You give them something to eat. They're, at this point, they're astonished and exasperated by Jesus. Seriously, Jesus? We're out here in the middle of nowhere. We're, no we're nowhere near food. And we are annoyed by these people. And now we're exasper exasperated by you, Jesus, and what you're saying. You want us to give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give them to eat? You get a setting here of what's happening? They had this ministry high. They've been doing these great things. They want to tell Jesus about it. And people are now ruining it for them. The people who matter most and are closest to, close to the heart of God are bothering the disciples and they don't even like Jesus very much at this point because they cannot believe what Jesus is telling them. It's much like Moses who pleaded to God in Numbers 11 when Moses said, where am I to get meat to give all these people? The disciples are in the same vein. You see, they didn't know the heart of Jesus yet. They're still pondering, they're still confused, they're still unbelieving in who He really is. And what happens to us is, without knowing the heart of God, ministry and service to God can become busy work and drudgery. Let me say that again, because I want you to catch that. Without knowing the heart of God, ministry and service to God can become busy work and drudgery. And we can become easily irritated and agitated. That's the disciples here. They are irritated and agitated by the work that God has asked them to do. So Jesus responds in verse 38. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. How often in our lives do we make excuses when God asks us to do something? You see, without knowing the heart of God, we can get easily irritated and agitated, and we make excuses. Well, I can't do that, God. I don't have the gifting for that, God. I don't have the time for that, God. I don't have the talent for that, God. You want me to do what, God? And look at Jesus' request here. He says, how many loaves do you have? 
In John, it says that there was a young boy that had two fish and five loaves. And Jesus basically asked of the disciples what he asked of us today. He says, bring me what you have. You and I make all these excuses on what we do not have, that we do not have enough time, we do not have enough talent, we do not have enough treasure. And Jesus simply says, bring me what you have. Bring me a lot of what you have. Bring me a little of what you have. Bring me what you have. And so they bring all that they have. These two fish and these five loaves. Mark puts in this little comment. We almost miss it because it's such a brief little comment. He says, tell the people to sit down in groups on green grass. Mark's the only one who tells us to do that about this, that it's green grass. The only time the grass is green in this part of Israel is in the springtime. No other time would it be like that. It's green grass just like the green pastures in Psalm 23 that the shepherd makes the sheep lie down to restore the sheep's soul. And remember, Jesus looked at these people as, sh- as sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus has these sheep and he has them go in the green grass just like the good shepherd does in Psalm 23, the grass that restores their soul. And in Greek in this text, we miss it in the English translation. It says they have them sit down in groups. Literally in the Greek, it is garden plot by garden plot. I want you to get this imagery here, that Jesus has them sit down in the green grass that can restore their soul in the green grass like garden plots. It feels like we should be out planting garden plots today, and this week it will. You know, and when you have that garden plot, you know, you plant those seeds in the garden plot. The people are are planted in these garden plots of 50 and 100 And what happens as they're in those garden plots? The disciples come and they bring them food that nourishes them physically and spiritually so that they can grow up. It's a beautiful imagery that we miss because our translation doesn't give us it all. That these are these people who are nourished as they sit down and their souls are restored as they are physically and spiritually brought up here. They're restored as disciples bring what they have. And do you see what happens? The disciples bring what they have, and they give it to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He takes it. He gives thanks to it. Jesus breaks it. He gives it back to them so that they can do what they can do. See, the disciples did what they could do. They could give Jesus the food, and they could give then the food back to the people. But they had to trust God to do what only God could do. They had to trust Jesus to do what only Jesus could do. And Jesus looks at us, and again, He says, What's in your hands? What do you have to bring to me? Bring to me again whatever you have, and give it to me. And God will do with it what only God can do, and He gives it back to us so that we can bless God's people with it. See, we may feel that our contribution is meager or insufficient, but God can use it for His glory. 
whether it's our time, our talents, our treasure, what we give to Him, He multiplies for His sake. He takes what we have to restore people back to Himself. I love what one author said. He said this, What precisely Jesus does with what we give Him is so mysterious and powerful that it's hard to describe in words. We offer, he says, uncomprehending what little we have. Jesus takes ideas, loaves and fishes. He takes our money, our sense of humor, our time, our energy, our talents, our love, our artistic skills, our gifts with words, our quickness of eye or fingers. He takes whatever we have to offer, and He holds them before His Father with prayer and blessing, and then breaking them so they are ready for use, He gives them back to us to give to those who need them. What a beautiful picture of what God does. And it's not our skills or our position that matters. It's our obedience and our willingness that matters. It's our hearts that matter. And we miss out on the blessing if we are not obedient. And I'm so thankful that the disciples offered what they had. I'm so thankful that they were willing to give up what they had. Because Jesus is up to something here. He wants the disciples to get this. They were going to be taking over this over soon. The advancement of the kingdom of God is going to be placed into their hands, and they needed to have trust in God, and God is trying to use this to grow their faith. He knows it's a key to the ministry after He leaves that they have to have this trust in who He is. And then Mark does what Mark does. Immediately, we jump to the next story. But this one's a little bit different. He says, immediately, Jesus made His disciples, verse 45, go into the boat and go on ahead of Him to Bethsaida while He dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up to the mountainside to pray. Later that night, while the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn. So this is what we see is happening. As he sends out these disciples, and this is key. Mark is trying to make a connection here. And we see the disciples, they're out here on the lake, and they are rowing all night long and getting nowhere. What a great picture. They're just, they're straining at the oars all night long. It says until, what does it say there? It says uh, at the verse 20, uh, 48, it says shortly before dawn. So from night until shortly before dawn, they are straining at the oars. You get the picture? These 12 disciples out in the boat, they're straining at the oars. In all their effort, they are going nowhere. I think about how we strain at the oars. How we try to do things in our own effort. When Jesus promises to be with us and even join us, we seek to do it all on our own. 
While God wants to work in partnership with us, so often we are just straining at the oars and thinking, if I just work harder, if I just you know, try to be uh, you know, better at this, if I could just have a little bit more willpower, if I can have more self-control, I mean, I can just do this all by myself. And we look like disciples out in the middle of the lake straining at the oars. How many areas in our life do we strain at the oars. You look at your paycheck and your finances and you strain at the oars. And man, if we can just buckle down, if we can just do this better, man, we'll be in great shape. And God says, I want to partner with you in your finances. And if you will trust me with the first fruits of your finances, I will bless you. And we say, nah, God, I can't do that. I'm just going to strain at the oars and we're going to try harder with our finances. How many of you in your marriages, they're falling apart and you say, you know what, if we just have more willpower, if we just, you know, man, if we do the counseling and do this, and I'm not saying that's bad, but if we just do it in our own effort and God says, I want to be in your marriage. And yet we say, you know what, no, we'll just figure it out. Or your kids, your kids are suffering or you're worried about your kids and you just think, you know, if we can just get them in the right school, if we can get them in the right youth group, if Ike can say the right word to them, it'll fix everything. And Ike is great, but you need to have God in your kid's life. And God says, I want to be in your family. And we are straining at the oars. We do this in our work and in our ministry and in our prayer lives and in our relationships. How many times are we straining at the oars? And you're just here exhausted today. You're here exhausted because you're at a place where you're like, God, I have done everything. I have tried it all. I am working as hard as I can. And I'm exhausted, God, and it's not working. Because we're like the disciples straining at the oars. We think it's all about us. We're trying to do life all in our own willpower. I want to jump down here. Verse 48 goes on to say, He was about to pass them by. But when they saw Him walking on the lake, they thought He was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. Immediately, here's another immediately. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. David, jump ahead verse 52. For they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. Time out here, Mark. What? Mark, we're talking about Jesus walking on the water. We've gotten past the 5,000. Uh, we've gotten past that. Mark just all of a sudden in his fast-paced gospel, he makes this little commentary at the end of Jesus walking on the water, for they had not understood the loaves. Excuse me, Mark? What does walking on water have to do with the loaves? That's a really good question. I looked through a lot of commentaries this week. They don't agree on anything about what this means. 
But God's trying to teach them here. Do you remember how it worked with the loaves? How did it work with the loaves? They brought what they had and trusted God to do what He could do. And now they get out on the boat, and what do they do? Do they trust in God? No, they strain at the oars as if it's all upon them. See, God's trying to teach him how it works in his kingdom. And part of how it works is we need to make space to surrender to God, to yield in obedience to him, so that God can do only what he can do. That God wants to come in and partner with us to meet needs. Jesus knew that they couldn't get across the lake. He's trying to teach them a lesson here. He's trying to connect the dots on what happened with the feeding of the 5,000 to what it means that happened on the lake. And Mark's trying to signal us in here, and I think we missed this. And so Jesus comes out to them. He comes and says to them, don't be afraid. And he reiterates to them who he is. He says, take courage, it is I. What he really says here is he says, I am. If you've been in church for a while, when you see I am, that should be a cue. Jesus is saying, I am. Huh? Jesus, you're I am? Yeah, he says, I'm I am. I'm the same I am that, that came to Moses and said, go to Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh says, who should I say sent me? I am sent me. That's who Jesus says He is. He's saying, disciples, I want you to know who I am. That just as God provided food in the wilderness to the people, and as God provided a way through the Red Sea on dry ground, He says, I am the same God who was that God who provided food in the Old Testament to the people in the wilderness. I am the same God who helped the people through the Red Sea. And look at what Jesus does. He provided food for the people now, and Jesus walks on the water. He says, I am in the same vein as that God. I am that God. I am the Lord of the creation, the master over the nature. I am the good shepherd who feeds his sheep. That I am the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, as Isaiah 25 says, who will provide for people in the wilderness. And God's kingdom is breaking through. The disciples are going to be the ones to take over, and they have to recognize who Jesus is and how Jesus functions in this kingdom. But they didn't understand it, for they had not understood the loaves. They didn't recognize who He really was. The truth of Jesus hadn't broken into their hearts yet. They hadn't yielded themselves to Him and His work in their lives in His work in the world. They hadn't done that yet. They will come back next week and the following week, and we'll hear about that. But they hadn't yet. For their hearts were hardened. And they needed a complete heart change that was made possible only by Jesus Christ as He forms them into His likeness. And that wouldn't happen for them until after the resurrection. That complete heart change wouldn't happen until after then when the Holy Spirit comes on them and then their hearts would be changed. But you and I live on the other side of the resurrection. Do we understand the loaves? Do we understand the loaves? Because the size of our faith is at stake. 
when I was thinking about how to explain this this week, this is the best analogy I have. It's like dancing. I'm not going to dance for you. Don't worry, Glenn. I'm not going to dance for you up here. But it's like dancing. Follow me here, okay? This is not how the dance works with God. We do not lead and simply drag God around on the dance floor. That's not how it works. That's what the disciples are doing. Straining at the oars is taking and trying to drag God around the dance floor. That doesn't work very well. That's not the type of dance God wants to do. And it's not as cute as it is at weddings to see the little girl stand on her father's feet and him do this, you know, with the little girl on his feet. That's not how it works either. We are not passive in this process. So we don't drag God around and we don't just stand on God's feet and get drug around by Him and not really do anything. No, it's we dance with God. He leads. It's not 50-50. He leads. He is in control of the dance. He picks the dance. He picks the rhythm. He picks uh, the direction. He is leading in the dance, but we partner with God in the dance, in this beautiful dance of what it means to work in His kingdom. Do you get that imagery? And that's what God wants us to do. He is saying, this is what it's going to look like in my kingdom. This is how I want you to participate in the kingdom. I will lead, but I need you to bring what you have. I need you to come along in this dance, in this beautiful dance of what I want to do. It's a partnership with God. This is how His kingdom will function. He is the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ who has come, and He wants to partner with you and me. And he's not a political leader who's going to overthrow the world. As N.T. Wright says, he's the world's rightful king, long exiled, now returning, putting all things right. His is a spiritual kingdom. And he wants to rule and reign in your life and my life. He wants to partner with us in the work that he's doing in the world. And we need to be a dance partner with God. We need to let him lead and let Him decide, and bring what we have, and trust Him to do what only He can do, and watch how He gives it back to us, and see how He blesses the world through this partnership. Do you see this rhythm, this beautiful dance of what God wants to do in and through us as we understand how He works in the world? We know and see that He is the sovereign God of the universe over the world. That He is the spiritual Messiah, the Savior of the world. He invites us to join Him in His work. To be His dance partner. To bring what you have and watch as He does what only He can do. And as we do this, as we have this beautiful rhythm, our faith will grow. Our confidence in God will grow. And the kingdom of God will continue to move forward as He wants. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us to understand the loaves, soften our hearts, so that we can be obedient to what You want us to do. Lord, we bring what we have before You, even though we don't think it's very much. Lord, You do what only You can do, and we thank You for that. Thank You for Jesus Christ, who shows the way of how we move forward. 
Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that brings us into right relationship with you so that we can partner with you in your amazing work that you're doing, not only here in this place at Marion Road, but what you're doing around the world. Thank you for the privilege that you invite us into it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.